shotglassdigital.com. Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash geekout. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player of your choice. Audibletrial.com slash geekout. Help us out, guys. Come on. Come on, help us out. On this episode of Geek Out Loud, we are going to be discussing Marvel's tiniest little hero yet, Ant-Man. Spoilers abound, so you're warned now. All this and more on your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. everyone and welcome to geek out loud your safe place to geek out here on the old internet my name is steve glosson so glad to be along with you on this the first of two episodes of geek out loud that'll be released this week uh now coming up tomorrow for those of you listening live in the chat we're doing our goliverse reads episode as the goliverse reads ready player one and uh, looking forward to that book club episode with bald-headed rod and our friend nicole we're going to be talking about Ernie Klein's Ready Player One, and we'll probably be plugging Ernest Klein's Armada. Had the chance to uh, pick that up and read it, and it is some good stuff. Uh, strong as Ready Player One, Steve? Mm, we'll talk about that tomorrow on our Goliverse Reads Ready Player One episode. Uh, until then, though, it's all Ant-Man this time around. We're going to be talking about uh, Marvel's Ant-Man. The a lot, Kevin Feige's even said it's the last of the Phase 2 Marvel films, but to me it really is a great kind of stepping into the third phase of things, especially uh, with some things that happen within the movie. We'll talk about all of that as we uh, get into that right now later on. We, so we got spoilers and stuff coming ahead, but it's down the road. If you want to listen to the first half, we'll give you yet another warning before we get into Ant-Man, because that's how, that's that's the kind of guy I am, guys. I'm not going to just spoil a movie and not tell you, not tell you, with a, you know, give you a warning about it. Come on. What kind of, what kind of person do you think I am? I'm the person who obviously gets hostile at no one speaking to him. Uh, but no, thanks guys for joining us, and thanks everyone for using the Amazon links that you can find at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. It's as simple as going there instead of amazon.com and then just clicking on the Amazon link. It's one extra step, two if you count the click, uh, to head there and then shop through Amazon the way you normally would. 
Um, it, no hidden fees, no extra cost to you, but it helps the shows out immensely. We pay for all of our bandwidth and stuff thanks to you guys clicking on the Amazon links and doing your Amazon shopping uh, from geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. And a big thank you so much to everyone who supports us directly at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Man, oh man, oh man, a little over a year now, and you guys have been fan freaking tastic. Uh, it it blows my mind. I'm humbled and honored that you would ever choose to support the Goliverse in the way that you have, and you've saved my life. You've kept me off the streets. That's not a lie. That's not joking. You really have. Uh, you you've been what's kept keep what's kept me going. You've been what's keeping me going. You have kept me going. Your generosity and support have kept me, not just the shows, but me going now uh, since we launched the Patreon at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Our featured supporter at the Patreon this week is Emily Lucas. She calls herself Power Plant, even though she's using plant power. That's right. Emily controls any and all plants from trees to dandelions and everything in between. Villains don't stand a chance when even the grass can be used against them. That's our featured supporter this week, Emily Lucas, and we thank her so much for her support and everyone who supports us at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Now, for someone who doesn't really appreciate and enjoy the Beatles that much, it's just the best song to use when you're about to give someone a birthday shout-out. As I understand it, our own Goliverse member, Wendy Cooper from the High Desert, is celebrating a birthday, and uh, we just want to give a big shout out to her. Happy birthday, Wendy, who I know she's been a listener longer than she's been a Patreon supporter, which many of you have been, but uh, so grateful, Wendy, to have you on board with the Goliverse and appreciate everything that you've ever done for us, the call-ins, the comments, the fun stuff, the Amen Corner. And I hope that your birthday has been absolutely, absolutely spectacular. Sorry to ruin it with a Beatles song. So happy birthday to Wendy. Wendy's great. We appreciate Wendy and everything she does. Um, Hey, real quick, just to get some housekeeping stuff out of the way. If... You enjoy listening to me talk about Star Wars and Star Wars news. And if you enjoy uh, my co-host from Disney Vault Talk, Teresa, and you enjoy Teresa and Steve together, uh, guess what? You can check us out on the, the most recent episode and the next episode of the Star Wars Report at StarWarsReport.com. Riley and Bethany Blanton are basically off at basic training uh, right now uh, in the Air Force, and so while they're gone, Riley wanted content to still be produced, and he asked Teresa and I to step in for a couple of weeks, and we were glad to do so. So check it out, StarWarsReport.com. It's the most recent episode, the one that was just released today at this time of recording, and, uh, and then next week we'll be on as well. Just me and Teresa, just taking over a whole other podcast. It's the strangest thing ever. It, it's like sitting in. It's like when you're listening, you have a talk radio show that you like, and someone comes and sits in for them. I guarantee you everyone that loves the Star Wars Report is ticked off. But you guys who are Goliverse listeners, 
Uh, hopefully you'll have a good time with it. Teresa and I have a good time with the Star Wars Report, and you learn a bit about the history of Steve and Teresa when you listen to the most recent episode of the Star Wars Report. So check that out at StarWarsReport.com. Let's jump into some emails. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, first time I've ever sing along to the uh, Mr. Postman song on the Geek Out Loud. Mark it down, episode 147, the first time Steve sang along to the Mr. Postman song. That's a true story. I'm not making any of that up. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt? No, take that as you will. We've got some emails in man. Have we got some emails? Matt Williamson chimes in. He says, hey, Steve, I was wondering if you have read any comic storylines, Marvel or DC, within the last 10 years that you would call an instant classic. So between 2005 and now. The only storylines I can think of uh, that will be thought of as particularly good 10 years from now would be what Scott Snyder has done, the Batman, especially the Court of Owls and the Joker storylines. I'm not saying there hasn't been any good storylines recently, I just can't think of any that will stand out apart from the ones that stand out simply because they got a major shift in continuity. Flashpoint, for instance. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. And that's from Matt. Uh, you know, Matt, it's it's history is kind to some storylines, and history is not so kind to other storylines. In 10 years, uh, since 2005, we've seen a lot of stuff go down, both in the Marvel and the DC universes. Um you know, Secret Invasion, I believe. Yeah, Secret Invasion has been in the last 10 years. I don't know that that'll go down as a as a classic storyline. And again, you know, that didn't really cause a major shift in continuity, but it was one of those game-changing storylines. It, it was a crossover event. It was an event book, I should say. Within the individual comics themselves, um, I tell you, the Superior Spider-Man stuff, especially those last few issues leading into the return of Peter Parker, I really enjoyed and 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 the concept of that story is a classic in my mind. Uh I was really blown away with how they handled that thing and and how well it went. Um everything that's led up to Secret Wars in the Marvel universe, I don't know. I just don't know that it it would be considered classic. I did read the Court of the Owls and the Joker storylines um with the Snyder Scott Snyder stuff there. I really dug it. I don't know that it'll be considered a... I don't know that people will be pointing back. Maybe Court of Owls. I think people may be pointing back to Court of Owls and saying this this was a great Batman story because it really, truly was. Um, I, I think more than the comics themselves, people are going to be pointing to the films. I think people are going to be pointing to things like the Arkham series of, of video games. Uh, I don't... I don't know, and, it, and it's kind of sad to me because, and, and here's the problem. Here's why we're not going to, here's why I don't know that we'll get anything like that. Maybe the death of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe in the Marvel comics and the rise of Miles Morales, but I don't know that we'll get anything because both comic companies, both of the big comic companies, are so geared toward crossover events and big continuity shifts and big game changers anymore rather than just telling self-contained, really good storylines and story arcs. If I'm being honest, you know, Peter David wrote on The Incredible Hulk for 13 years back in the 80s into the 90s. And 
<clears throat> I don't know that any of his stuff would be considered classic. You know, the, I don't know that you can pull one little story arc here or there out and say it's classic, but the fact his whole run from stem to stern, I think, is considered classic and visionary because of what he did with the character and how he made the character relevant. Um, John Byrne's run, his whole run, way back in the day on Fantastic Four, I think is classic because John Byrne had a had a scope and a grasp of those characters to do them just right. Uh, so, But here's what was happening. Those books were largely self-contained. And there was a time in comic books when if another hero showed up in a comic, that was a big deal. Nowadays, it's just old hat. And what I'd, what I'd like to see both companies get back to is self-contained and i don't know maybe dc is doing this and i'm not aware because i'm not reading dc i'm not not reading dc because i'm a hater i'm not reading dc because they don't have an incredible unlimited app the way that marvel does to help you keep up with things i i feel like <clears throat> though and so so i speak of both companies this way very few of their story arcs in their individual titles titles are able to be self-contained because especially like with marvel leading this whole secret wars thing everything had to matter everything had to tie into all these incursions and everything and it and and i'm just sitting there reading them like this is the problem with these gigantic crossovers you end up affecting every single storyteller so i don't know i i don't i think history's gonna have to tell that you know a little bit further down the road I think the fact that in your email, Matt, you mentioned Court of Owls, I think that, and the Joker storylines, I think that those are the things that are being whispered more than anything else that I've ever heard, or that I've heard, you know, as far as just being outstanding classic level material, stuff that'll stand the test of time down the road. Again, particularly Court of Owls. Um, the Joker storyline was really good, but I feel like it was more of the same with the Joker as far as like, we're going to put your family in danger. We've seen it, you know. Court of Owls was something new and different, and I think that's what really makes it stand out. Um, and and it's, it's, the, it's the bane of the comic industry and the movie industry that for whatever reason, they can't seem to just have some good fresh ideas to, to give these characters to keep rolling in their own books and not have to worry about big crossover stuff. Matt also adds on a second email. He says, I'm sorry this is the third email I've sent in the last month, but you're one of the only geeks I get to communicate with. He says, I have a critique of modern-day movie and TV watchers that I'm wondering if I'm wrong to have. My critique is this. I hear way too many podcasts where, Greeks, where geeks, not the Greeks, but the geeks criticize a film for not putting together every piece of the puzzle for them and not leaving anything to mystery. I just listened to a podcast criticizing Return of the Jedi because it doesn't flat out tell us how Luke grew in his mastery of the Force between Empire and the start of Jedi. Am I wrong to think that the filmmakers should be able to leave some things to assumptions and wonder? These modern-day critiques remind me of my engineering professors in college grading my senior design project. Every statement and assumption I had made had better have clear evidence as to where it came from. When it comes to an engineering problem, then yes, I agree that everything should be made clear as day, but I don't feel the same way about films. I'm okay with some mystery as long as it's not lazy writing. How do you feel about this? I completely 100% agree with Matt who 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 wrote in who wrote this. I I I'm interested to know and I even emailed Matt back, I believe. I I responded to him said I'd talk about this on the next episode and I think that was like 3 episodes ago. I don't I would like to know what podcast this is and how critical they're being. 
I don't think you need to know how Luke grew in his mastery of the Force. I, I think the idea is that he definitely has. That his experiences, not only on Dagobah, but in Cloud City, have, um, have, have changed him and changed the person that he is. When Luke steps into Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi, there is exponential growth that has taken place since the last time we saw him. Maybe not. I think the exponential growth took place when he took a dive off of that gantry in Cloud City. So Luke falls, and, and the choice he makes there to die rather than give in to the dark side, I think is a huge step in maturity for Luke. And it's a, it's a moment of realization for him that this is not a game. This is not simply high adventure. This is, this is real. There are real stakes here to his life. And so when that character walks into Jabba's palace, he's something completely new and different than we've got to interact with yet. He is all business. He's all Jedi. Uh, and he's there, you know, and, and he's there on screen. How did he get his master? He just kept, I mean, look, what do you want? A whole bunch of scenes of him just practicing, you know? I think the fact that he constructed a new lightsaber somewhere in there, that takes some, we know now especially, that takes some mastery of the Force, a certain level of mastery. And so Luke has definitely come a ways. He even tells Yoda um, when Yo when he's getting ready to leave Dagobah and Empire, and Yoda says, You're ca the cave, the cave, remember your failure at the cave. Luke says, but I've learned so much since then. I can feel the Force, and Yoda says, but you can't control it. Or Obi-Wan says, you can't control it. And so Luke recognizes that he now has, it was easier. He'd, he'd grown in his time with Yoda to be able to more completely and more fully feel the Force. And so it's not that big of a stretch of the imagination that Luke would continue to work on things uh, between the times of Empire and Jedi as he was looking for Han. So that's, you know, uh, look, come on, guys. I agree. There, there's no sense in being critical. Some, some things are great when they're left to the imagination. Uh, most things, I think, a lot of times are great because it, it allows us to have these great conversations. It allows us to have, uh, you know, those, those moments where we're sitting around talking about stuff and we get to imagine, and it fires our, mad, our, our imagination and, um, and really helps us, you know, have discussions about these things that we love. And that's, and that's the great thing about it. If everything's spelled out, then it becomes a, you know, thing where like, you remember that part when this happened? That was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, that was awesome. But that's the thing about mythology. Star Wars is a story, is a, is a story told to be a modern day myth where not all the holes are filled in, but the important moments are shown to us and the, and the important stuff is shown. And not every little question is answer. Answer, answered. Wow. Uh, Karan, chi uh, I want to quit saying chimes in. Karan has emailed us. Uh, Karan says, Steve, I'm going to skip the perfunctory hello there and get right to it. That freaking trailer. It's killing me to not use expletives right now. The trailer is that good. I'm sure you'll do your own analysis of it, so I'll just focus on the finer points. Now, the trailer he's referring to is the Batman v Superman trailer shown at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, that scene where he screams when his building is getting shredded gave me chills. I'm also wondering if the Joker is aware of Batman's identity. I get the feeling that the newspaper article is about his quote-unquote family wasn't just an indication to the employees he lost uh, in the Superman-Zod battle, but also the extended Bat family, which we get a look at ahead. The suit with the green writing is definitely Robin's. I paused the video and had an R on it. 
Although, what sort of weapon he's supposed to be holding, I have no idea. There's this scene of Batman fighting a couple of dudes, which I think leads to the scene where Superman rips the Batmobile. Then there's also that fight where Batman has some pants on and jacket on, which I feel is an homage to Gotham by Gaslight. Gail Godot looks pretty great as Wonder Woman, in my opinion. I feel that scene where she's fighting is all of them up against the long-rumored Doomsday. I didn't really believe the rumor when it came out, but seeing Zod make a reappearance lends some amounts of credence to it. All this assuming there will be two major fights in the movie, Bat-Robot versus Superman and the Trinity versus Doomsday. If you can't tell, I've watched this trailer about 10,000 times. There was also a a Suicide Squad trailer shown exclusively at Comic-Con. Any links on YouTube were swiftly taken down. I did manage to snag one of them before it could be removed. And while I don't absolutely love it, I'm still looking forward to the movie and really understand understand all the hate it's been getting. I was honestly surprised they even had that much footage to bring to Comic-Con. The trailer itself looked like it had been made in the last second. Just a glance at all the characters with emphasis on Deadshot. Harley, and dear lord, that Joker. I freaking love this Joker. All respect to Heath Ledger, but anyone who still hates on Jared Leto's portrayal simply on the basis that it won't compare to Ledger's needs to sort their issues out. The way he said, oh, I'm not going to kill you, I'm just going to hurt you really, really bad, had me kind of scared since I was watching this at 2 in the morning all alone in my room. That's exactly the effect I want from my Joker. I won't be apologizing for the link of this email since it's freaking Comic-Con. Cheers and keep up the good work, and that's from Karun. P.S. A new Green Lantern movie has officially been announced called The Green Lantern Corps. Thoughts? Uh, I'm all for a Green Lantern movie. Uh, I, I, I like it. Uh, you know, go for it. More power to them. I'll be, my butt will be in the seat for that. There is a lot to talk about as it pertains to that Batman v Superman trailer. Um, I really want to get Derek on to talk about that more than anything, though. But I'll be honest with you guys, and this is where I'm at, and I've always made it very clear that the foundation of my geekdom, the first love of my geekdom, is Star Wars. And 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 with the first trailer they released, and now with this trailer they released, the day before the trailer was released out into the public, something big happened with Star Wars. And so I was riding a Star Wars high, and it causes me then to look at these trailers and be like, nah. And I hate that because I really should be so excited about this movie, and I know everyone else is. I'm just telling you where I'm at. I'm not telling you that it's not going to be good or it's not going to be all this. I'm just telling you where I'm at with it. I'm just not super looking forward to it. I've said since the beginning I'm not interested in a Suicide Squad movie. And though I'm not hating on Jared Leto's Joker, we've only gotten a quick snippet of him in a trailer. I will say this. I don't like the look. I don't like the look. I saw a great meme the other day that someone had posted and it had all of the jokers who we'd seen um in mediums other than the comic books and it started with Cesar Romero and it's, it's and it had him as a as a joker it says Cesar Romero the clown then it shows Jack Nicholson Jack Nicholson the gangster uh then it shows Heath Ledger's joker Heath Ledger the anarchist then it showed Jared Leto's uh joker and says Jared Leto the psychopath and then over next to all those a bigger picture had the joker from the animated series and it said Mark Hamill the Joker. And I agree with that. I agree that in that medium of the animated series, they captured something with the character of the Joker that I don't know that we've caught on screen in any of the films. Now, I'm, I put Batman, the, the 66 Batman, out there in its own category. It's its own special thing that I don't know that we should ever compare and criticize it compared to what else we have because it is such a different animal than anything else that we get. But when you compare what happened with Nicholson's Joker in in Tim Burton's Batman, listen, Nicholson was a great Joker. I enjoyed it. He had he was he was he went nuts. This was a gangster who went nuts, 
and and when he went nuts it was fun to watch it was he was all about killing people he was all about you know just he was about the anarchy you know he had all these different aspects to him but what really came out was this i'm the joker it's my goons and i want to take over this city um wait till they get a load of me kind of thing um he's ledger's joker fit the nolan batman movies and Heath Ledger did an outstanding job, and 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 he did that thing where there were moments where you wanted to laugh, but you knew you shouldn't laugh at what just went on. The the the, the disappearing pencil trick, um, the the you want to know how I got these scars um, when he's trying to get the building to explode and he just can't seem to get it to explode. You know there are those moments where it's kind of funny, and you know it shouldn't be. Um, but it is, and th- and I think that's one of the successes of that Joker. Is there was still a little bit of comedy in what he was doing, and you knew that he was a force to be reckoned with, and he had Batman's number in such a good way. Leto's Joker in the Suicide Squad trailer, I'm just not sure about because it's only been a, it, you know, we've only gotten a snippet of it. I don't think we can judge the whole performance based on the little bit that we have seen there um i think the whole point of that is to show us the suicide squad and to get us pumped about harley and deadshot and all these others and i'm just not it you know it's not a book i ever read i i'm i'm all about the heroes i don't really you know i i, I don't like getting into the villain stuff so um you know but again because it's a superhero movie i'll probably be in the movie theater to see it you know what i'm saying like that's probably where i'll end up being um but back to the batman v superman stuff i did notice some shaky cam work in the trailer i was paying very close attention to see but there are moments where the camera shouldn't be shaking and it's not if that makes sense so maybe they've cleaned up some of that maybe they or maybe maybe they'll do what they did to man of steel and go back and digitally insert the shakiness uh, so, <laughs> and I do think that since, uh, Karun emailed me, they, they have actually released the Suicide Squad trailer online. So there's, there's that. Jamie Dunst writes in, he says, Hey Steve, listening to the show is always enjoying it. Uh, and as always enjoying it. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the new trailer for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. What did you think? I'm going to say that I was not looking forward to this film. I didn't think anything about it was interesting or excitement, but I have to change my tune. I thought the new trailer was excellent. I see motives and interesting concepts taken from what happened to Man of Steel, and I kind of like Ben Affleck as Batman. Let me tell you who's banging the who's been banging the Ben Affleck gong since it was announced. Matt Crowder, Steve Glosson. We've both been saying Affleck as Batman really works for us. You can go back to old episodes and listen, and you'll see that I've never had a problem. I'll be honest with you. I've not had a problem with any of the casting that they've done, that Warner Brothers has done in these DC movies. Jared Leto, like, I want to go back to this Joker situation because I want, I've only seen Jared Leto in a couple of things, and he is fabulous. He is a chameleon. He is a great actor. And and so, you know, he's going to make choices that he brings to the Joker that I think are going to be very interesting. I'm put off by the look. I feel like everything that they're trying to do is just be like, look how gritty we can be. 
Look how cool we can be. Look how against the grain we can be. We tattooed up the Joker, you know. We oh, look at his teeth. Look at that, you know. And and it's just like stop it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I feel like sometimes that Warner Brothers is trying to be smarter than the material, than the source material, and and I've been taking a task for that. But I'm going to stand by that because I feel like. I feel like that is the best criticism I can level at it, other than the shaky camera stuff. Because everything else about it is so good. And, the, and all the pieces are... It's like they've got all the pieces of a fantastic puzzle, but they just can't put them together the right way. For me, for my taste, is what I'm saying. Um, uh, but, look, Jamie, they've turned him around with this trailer. He says, I can admit when I'm wrong, and I'll say that I was wrong about the movie. I can't wait for it. I also want to say about Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and I agree. Well, let's let's address this first. I said the Ben Affleck thing. Mm, I don't know. I really want to get Derek on to talk this Man of Steel, uh, this uh, this Batman v Superman trailer, and we've got plenty of time. You know why? Because it doesn't come out until 2016, next summer, a whole year from now. So, you know, I, that's the other thing. Don't expect to see much more of it. I mean, like I'll start to get geared up for Batman v Superman as we get closer to Batman v Superman. I also want to say about Peter Parker's Spider-Man, and I agree that these classic characters remain as those characters. At their core, Batman is Bruce Wayne, Superman is Clark Kent, a.k.a. Kal-El. You can do stories where someone takes over as Batman or Spider-Man or Batman or Captain America, but it, but that change, but changes the core of that character. Batman is who he is because he saw his parents gunned down in front of him. He was born out of a need to make sure that never happens again. When you take out Bruce Wayne uh, from the Batman equation, you change who the character is. You can do stories where Dick Grayson becomes Batman, which is cool. You have the son taking over for the father, and I like stories like that, but you know that Bruce Wayne is coming back because Bruce Wayne is just important to the story of Batman as Batman is. Stan Lee recently made a comment about Peter Parker, and he more or less agreed with your comments. It's why we have a Miles Morales, because he's Spider-Man, but he's different. He's part African-American and part Hispanic, and I love that we'll be seeing, seeing him as New York Spider-Man after Secret Wars, while we'll still have a Peter Parker Spider-Man in a more global setting, and we'll even get a series that updates Peter Parker early on his career in a series called Spidey. I love that because Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel character. He was the first Marvel character I got into, and I always thought he was cool. And now we have all of these options in the comic form, which I think is cool, because you get everything. You get Miles Morales as a teenage Spider-Man in the 616 universe. You get an adult Peter Parker doing some cool things as a more mature Spider-Man. And you get Spidey, where you can relive the adventures of Peter Parker when he first started out as Spider-Man. I love it. Did you see anything in terms of comic book television news from Comic-Con? If not, I won't say anything about Arrow or Flash, but they seem to have some very cool things coming down the pipeline for the upcoming seasons, and I cannot wait for it. Supergirl continues to excite me and very looking forward to this new series again. Uh, if you haven't heard some of the news, I won't say anything, but I've read some interesting casting on here as well. As for Gotham, I'm going to watch the first episode of the new season, if it, see if it grabs me and go from there. I wasn't very impressed with the first season of this show, so uh, it will probably be an episode-by-episode episode kind of show for me. Overall, though, I'm very excited for upcoming seasons of comic book shows. Yeah, there's, there was a lot of news that, was, that came out from the CW about the Arrow and Flash and some casting. The Edge, uh, Adam Copeland is going to be coming to one of those shows. I forget which one. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I've seen the Supergirl pilot. And let me tell you something, guys. I really dug it. I really liked what they're doing. I like the direction they're going to take the overall mythology of this, this show, apparently. And uh, I'm looking forward to more 
from Supergirl, and I hope that everyone will support that show on CBS, a major network having a superhero show, first time in many, many years. So uh, get out there and support it. He says, I want to end this email with Star Wars. I saw the Star Wars The Force Awakens pen on YouTube, and it was amazing, and I almost want to put myself on a blackout until the movie comes out. I feel like I've seen so much that I can't get excited anymore if I tried. It seems like everything I hoped for, and I'm just very happy with what I've seen so far. I mean, it's Star Wars. They sold me already. Now I have a question. Maybe you can help me out with this. So I've seen A New Hope in a lot of times, but I just watched it recently. I need some help making sense of something. When Luke first sees Leia's message, you get the feeling that C-3PO doesn't know who Leia is. However, at the beginning of the movie, when the rebel ship gets tractor beamed, C-3PO says something along the lines of, We're doomed. There'll be no escape for the princess this time. Not only does the comment seem that C-3PO knows the princess's uh, princess, but he's been on a trip like this before with her. So do you think that C-3PO was lying to Luke about knowing the princess, or do you think that he didn't know what the princess looked like? I'm not sure if there's a right or wrong answer, but I was curious as to your thoughts. I think the idea is that 3PO was covering a little bit. He was waiting to see what, you know, where, where this thing was going to take him. He told him that he had been a part of the rebellion. He said, that's how we came to be of your service, if you take my meaning. That whole question of if you take my meaning is like, uh, you know, carries with it the idea, um, carries with it the idea of, um, uh, of, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, if you take my meaning. That's, you know, he says, you know, the rebellion against the empire, that's how we came to be in your service, wink, wink, nudge, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so when he says, um, when he says, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting text messages coming in. When he says, uh, to him, she seems to be a person of some importance. I don't think it's that he doesn't recognize her. I think it's that he is just not giving all the information he has. I think 3PO is smarter than we all give him credit for. And, and though he's quick to trust Luke, there's still some things in his programming that won't let him give out everything that he knows. Because later on down the line, you know, he's like uh, Princess Leia. She's here in the Death Star. You know, it's like suddenly it, it's open communication, you know, field day with with 3PO and Luke. So um, I, I, I do think what's what's meant to be communicated there is that 3PO is just covering up just a little bit. But he is honestly just as confused by the name Obi-Wan Kenobi and the fact that R2 says he used to belong to Obi-Wan. Because remember, 3PO had his mind wiped at the end of Episode 3, so he doesn't know the full history here. To, to 3PO's knowledge, you know, he woke up on the Tandem 4 or the Sundered Heart or whatever they want to call that ship from uh, from Revenge of the Sith, uh, that spaceship, and... Um, and and he woke up and his master was Captain Antilles, and he tells Luke, "Our last master was Captain Antilles." So, there you go. That's what that's my that's my thoughts on it. And that was Jamie Dunst chiming in. Uh, there I go. I said chiming in again. Now Will West is is emailing and he's giving us updates on his girlfriend watching through Star Wars. The last uh, email we got from him, he said that his girlfriend told him Maggie, I believe her name is. Uh, told him that Jar Jar made the Phantom Menace for her. That if it would not been for, had it not been for Jar Jar, she would not have enjoyed the Phantom Menace. To which I say, hoorah. Uh, now we get to Attack of the Clones. Will says, hello there, Steve. Well, it happened again. Attack of the Clones went down, and here's what was gleaned. I'll warn you, while the last story caused hearts to be warmed, this one's caused a facepalm. Maggie and I were watching Attack of the Clones, and 
We're at the part where Jar Jar is giving Chancellor Palpatine emergency powers. She points at old Palps and says, he kind of looks like Darth Vader. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, Darth Vader? Maybe she means Sidious? So I pause the movie and do a little prodding. And I said, Darth Vader, I ask? Yeah, Luke Skywalker's father, she responds. At which point, I, po- I point to the poster behind my couch. You may recall the covers of the VHS special edition original trilogy, the one with Vader's head, one with the Stormtrooper's head, and one with Yoda's head. I point to the one with Vader. That Darth Vader, I ask? Yeah, him. His nose looks the same. <laughs> There's no... <laughs> His nose looks the same as Darth Vader. Uh, which... What? <laughs> Darth... The, uh, the same as the nose on the mask, which isn't really there? What are you... I'm confused. At this point, I'm realizing she said Luke Skywalker's father. Does she realize she's watched two movies about Anakin Skywalker at this point? Not sure. Anyway, I just say, interesting, and resume the movie. Afterwards, she told me it was really hard to sit through, and I get that, but old Steve, I'm counting down the seconds until we watch Revenge of the Sith. It's my sentimental favorite, and I can't wait to see how Maggie reacts to the Star Wars edition of All Heck Breaking Loose. As promised, I'll keep you posted moving forward. Thanks for the safe place to geek out. Will, calm down. I know you're excited to show her Revenge of the Sith, but I also need you to understand something. She may not like it. I mean, fair warning. Um, you, you can't expect her to love it b- the way that you do, and I hope that you don't. So fair warning, she may not like it, especially when she realizes that uh, Palpatine is not uh, Luke Skywalker's father, that his nose is not quite the same, that it is a little bit different. Uh, finally, and we've got some other emails we'll get to when we start talking about Ant-Man, but finally, uh, Andy Lindemann says, About a month ago, we moved my mom out of her house and into a signed living facility. In the process of moving some furniture around the room, I found my copy of Out of the Silent Planet. Haven't seen that book in decades. And lost the other two books in the trilogy decades ago as well. Anywho, I've never read the book. I think I tried when I was 9 or 10, but couldn't get into it and put it down, and apparently lost it. But was so excited to find this book in her house, I can't... I put it in my to-read stack, but when I heard you guys mention it was coming up in the reads list, I moved it to the forefront. Can't wait to hear the discussion for this book and Ready Player One, which I read and listened to, Mr. Wheaton. Love, love, love that book. Have a great day, and may the Force be with you. This is from Andy Chubaba. Let me Google that for you. My iPhone calls me Batman Lindemann. Andy, uh, yeah, for everyone who doesn't know, tomorrow at the time of this recording, we're going to be doing our Goliverse Reads um, Ready Player One, and we'll be discussing Ready Player One in the Goliverse Book Club. But then uh, the next month is Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. So go ahead and get your head start with Andy. He sent a picture of the book. It's from like the 70s, sometimes in the late 70s. Great, a dollar ninety-five cover price back then. You should be able to pick it up, no problem. C.S. Lewis, Out of the Silent Planet. We'll be discussing that not on this coming up episode of Goliverse Reads, but the next one so that is our mail and thank you guys you can email us at geekoutonline at gmail.com geekoutonline at gmail.com is the place to which you can send the emails and uh and we'll you know i try to read practically everyone at some point or another sometimes we get a little backed up but that's fine that gives us that gives us an excuse to have a dance party And we all love dance parties. Got a quick break. So I can wet the old whistle when we come back. 
We had a Facebook poll, Batman v Superman, in our own Facebook poll at facebook.com slash geekoutloud. We'll see how that shook out, and then we'll talk the Ant-Man right here on Geek Out Loud. Check out Flash TV Talk. 
Flash TV Talk is your source for news, reviews, and spoilers for the upcoming CW show, The Flash. But wait, there's more. Every week we get hyped with discussion and commentary on The Flash and his previous TV incarnations, including... Smallville. Justice League Unlimited. Flashpoint Paradox. Young Justice. And more. Accelerate your fandom with us on Flash TV Talk. Search for us on iTunes or find us online at flashtvtalk.podastery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelini. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Concetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story monthly at mystarwarsstory.com and available in the iTunes store. As we're coming back now, I want to remind you guys, uh, if you want to help us out in a big, bad way, and it really helps you take part in the Goldiverse Book Club, you can join up with Audible.com. Audible is the leading provider in spoken word and audio entertainment. Over 150,000 titles to choose from, from genres ranging from nonfiction to fantasy to science fiction to comedy, everything you want. You can find it at audible.com. And you can get a free trial and a free audiobook with your trial right now by heading over to audibletrial.com slash geekout. Audibletrial.com slash geekout is your place to go for a free 30-day trial and audible an, an audiobook download. Audiobook chores to keep no matter what you do with your Audible membership. But I'm telling you what, I love Audible. I use it. And I'm super stoked about it. Now, I want to suggest Ready Player One, which we're talking about on the next Goldiverse Reads episode. But I can also suggest to you uh, Ernest Klein's latest, Armada, which is very much a take on the last Starfighter kind of thing. Uh, There's a lot of the same kind of references and stuff to all sorts of pop culture fun uh, that you've come to expect from Ernie Klein. after Ready Player One, but it's uh, it, it's a story that takes place in the quote think think real world unquote. And uh, I'd called one thing about it from early on in the book, but anyhow, uh, you want to get that? You might want to try out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis at AudibleTrial.com/geekout. You might want to try something I haven't even mentioned because there's over 150,000 titles to choose from. AudibleTrial.com/geekout. Help us out. And have a good time with it, right? Yeah! The 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. AudibleTrial.com slash geekout. Guys, help us out by going there and starting your free free trial today. Now, last time on the show, Teresa had posted a poll on the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash geekoutloud. Not even a poll, but more or less. Here's a question. Answer in the comments. And a lot of people answered. So I said, well, let's try it again. And with the Batman v Superman height, I decided, why don't we, uh, why don't we try to do some Batman v Superman? And so I simply posted time for another divisive poll, Superman or Batman and why. And you guys came through 56 different comments. A lot of people getting into the discussions about this. Uh, for example, <laughs> right out of the gate, uh, Andy Lindemann. Andy, Andy Chewbubba, let me Google that for you. My my iPhone calls me Batman Lindemann. Uh, says, I'm going to straddle the fence. I like Superman, especially in the good old days, not only because of his power set, but because he was a good guy, no question, always did the right thing. Batman, however, wins points just for looking really, really cool and having lots of neat toys. Plus, there's the age-old argument, everything he does, he's just a man without superpowers. So, Andy Lindemann uh, straddles the fence. We got a, we got a no comment from him. Uh, Joey May starts to break it down the way all of us geeks do. And if the context is who's the better superhero, I always say Superman. Why? Because he actually has powers. Batman is just, Batman is a superhero, guys. There, you cannot get past this, all right? Batman is doing extraordinary things in extraordinary situations. He is a superhero. There's no question. Superpowers does not make the superhero, all right? And, and we need to always remember that. And so uh, this whole thing of Batman not having powers has been around for a few years now. Like, that's why he's so cool, because he does what he does and doesn't have powers. Yeah, but he's got millions. Iron Man doesn't have powers, but he's got a cool suit that he built. Why? Because he's a billionaire and he had the brains to do it. Batman had the will to be Batman. Batman is a superhero. And I maintain to this day that Batman has pushed himself to the limits of humanity and beyond. We see Batman do super things, do extraordinary things in the comics and in the movies. Batman is a superhero. Um, but Joey does take, uh, he says, in, in terms of who I find more interesting, Batman every time. So I'm going to call it uh, one for Batman, one no comment. Angie says, Batman. Uh, Samuel Moon comes in with my boy Superman. Ted Adam Green says Batman because Batman. Also, the number one rule of superhero comics is Batman always wins. So there's one for Batman. Uh, Batman says Bo Cadell. Um, Batman says Jason Law. Looks like Batman's running away with this thing. Uh, Sterling chimes in and says Batman. Christopher Titchener says Superman because he's a super man. Matthew Rushing comes back with Superman. Brian V. Klein, Batman. Kevin says Superman. Rob Harrington, will it start a fight if I say separately they are great characters, but the fact they both exist in the same universe makes the, the comparison between the two better than the individuals? I don't want Superman to exist without Batman because the tension between them is better than the supervillains combined. Anyway, I don't even read comment comics. I just take it with a grain of salt. Robert Harrington with a no comment. Uh... Jason Westbrook, Superman, because dinosaurs? Seriously, because truth just in the American way. So uh, Jason with Superman. Uh, Rusty Allison says, I dig a good antihero as much as the next guy, but with so many of these days, it's nice to get a bit of wholesome salted back in. I'm going for Superman. Uh, Troy Westfall, Superman. Rodney Johnson, 
Superman. And now Superman has taken the lead of Batman. It's seven for Batman, eight for Superman, two no comments. Hiram Reed says, The Ultimate Boy Scout, Superman. Oh, Superman. Lynn Moore, Superman. Man, this makes me happy to keep saying Superman. Um, Heath Holland says, Batman. Uh, Jos- Josu Quintero says, Hands down, Superman. Good, good, good for you, Joe. Jennifer says, Superman. Uh, John says, Batman beats Superman. Hashtag kryptonite. Always two steps ahead of old soups. Uh, Jason Bogue, that is hard. I really like both. I like it best when they team up and work together. I'll go with Batman, though, because he's human and his intellect is his superpower. As Grant Morrison said, he is the one human good enough to be on a team of gods, or something similar to that, he said. So Jason goes with Batman. Uh, Wendy Cooper says, Wonder Woman. (laughs) Oh, sorry, Superman, I suppose. We're going to give it to Superman. Uh, Rebecca says, Superman. Uh, Connor says, Superman. John says, Superman. I'm really shocked right now, guys, because it's 16 for Superman, 10 for Batman, two no comments. Wu S. Kim says, I'm staying out of this one. First time in his life, Wu hadn't had an opinion. Sabrina says, Superman. Uh, Fred chimes in now with Batman. Lime says, Batman. Jason Hackett, great points here. He gives a link to a, uh, an article. Uh, by Scott Kurtz, but uh, I'm not going to stop to read that. Joshua Stolt, our friend Jedi Schwa, says Superman. Uh, Duke, Duke McNeil says Batman. Brian Clutter with the Batman. Um, Brian B, Superman. We're now at uh, 19 for Superman, 14 for Batman here, and two no comments here uh, in this situation um i do want to read brian clutter's full statement brian said batman the main reason is because i was the perfect age when batman the super the animated series first aired i would say that cartoon was to me what star wars is to you best response i've ever heard for someone loving batman um brian Beatty says superman for basically the same reason i'm loving the flash right now but never really plugged into the arrow. A generally good person with a strong sense of right and wrong and superpowers versus a really talented guy out for vengeance draped in a cape slash hood of quote-unquote justice. John Reed, old pipes, says Superman. Scott Scriven, Batman. Gene Tonner says Batman. Terry Glover says Superman. Why? Because Christopher Reeve. Dominique Garant says Superbat? That's going to go down as a no comment. Uh, Drew Huff says Batman because he's Batman. Um, Rena says Superman. Oh, Rena. How you doing, Rena? We talked to Cody the other week. How you guys doing? Michael Atman uh, says Batman will put up a good fight, but will ultimately be the soups. He has to be. It's in the Constitution. Google it. Better yet, let Steve Google that for you. Let me Google that for you. That's one for Superman. Uh, Shannon says Superman forever. Uh, Brian B. Beauchamp says Superman. Rafe Blake, Rich, says Superman. Heidi Jenkins says, see, Batman got a big start off, but man, I'm telling you something here at the end. Uh, it, it seems like it's, uh, it's coming down to old soups. Chris says Batman. Ben says Superman. Kenny says Superman. And Jess Becker throws in with Batman. So at the end tally was this, guys. 19 Batman... 29 Superman 4 no comment 
So thanks, guys, for taking part in the poll. A lot of great points, a lot of fun stuff said, and no one got in a fight. That's what's so great. No one called anyone an idiot for having a different opinion because we all understand that opinions are opinions. And that's what's so fun about these polls is uh, is just being able to have the... And what an incredible comeback, by the way, by Superman. That's the thing. You can't count Superman down and out because Superman doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. Here's what I would love to see again. I'd love to see Batman and Superman just be friends. I'd love to see him spend some holidays together. I'd like to see him go out and have dinner, go out and have some coffee. I'd like Batman to kind of get a, you know, put a smile on his face. Like the old 50s, 60s Batman, ladies and gentlemen. I know. I know. Cheesy. We all want darkness. No parrots. That's fine. But, um... But I like the idea that um, that they get along. And, and I tell you what, if you've never read Jeff Loeb's opening volley of, of his run on Batman Superman from back in the early 2000s, they did uh, Superman Batman Public Enemies, the, the DVD, the DC direct-to-DVD movie, kind of was based on that story, but there's some moments that are so good. And the narration is Batman and Superman thinking about one another as they're fighting and stuff. That's kind of weird. But, you know, they make great points about why they respect each other and why they trust one another. And then there's just just one of the coolest moments ever in comics to me uh, that we've talked about before with the castling move. And, And I would say... Check out Jeff Loeb's run of Superman Batman from back in the early 2000s. Uh, him and Ed McGinnis, uh, Ed McGinnis did the art, and I like Ed McGinnis's art. It's very cartoony. Uh, you know, the, the big, strong, you know, big barrel-chested, strong chin guys, and just looks good. So, um, <clears throat> so I, I dig it. Um, uh, so, anyhow, that great fun, guys. Thanks so much for taking part in the Facebook poll over at facebook.com slash geekoutloud. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. I love doing that. And so I've told Teresa I'm going to try to do more stuff like that and just try to be more involved in, in the social media because, you know, apparently it helps. That's what they say. They, they say it helps. They say it helps. Well, let's do this. Let's talk some Ant-Man. So a while back, uh, we, you know, for, well, several years, a couple of years, Edgar Wright had been really pushing Marvel to do a, uh, to do an Ant-Man movie. Um, I don't know, you know, and now what Edgar Wright wanted to do is kind of lost in the ether based on what Marvel had been doing now with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything being tied together. And we know what happened. We know that, you know, Edgar Wright and Marvel both cited created difficult, uh, created, cr- cited creative differences and went their separate ways. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where going into this movie, I really thought, can it be very good? Can it work out? I don't know. I just, I, I, I was, this was the one. This was the one where I really thought the chink was gonna open up in the old Marvel armor 
and and really start to show. Happy to report, much better than I expected. Just my overall non-spoilery thoughts, much better than I expected. It's fun and lighthearted. It's a heist movie, you know, which is fun. And it's mixed in with all the superhero stuff. And it just really, really, really works out well. The cast is is really good. I really dig Paul Rudd. I like Paul Rudd in general. He's got a he's got a charisma and a presence on screen and and a and a dry humor and a good delivery of lines and stuff that I just really dig the guy. And and so him as Scott Lang it really worked for me in a, in a big bad way. Mike Douglas is Hank Pym and this is the one where I had a little bit of issue coming in with this because I really was hoping that they do Hank Pym, you know, as an original Avenger and everything. But unfortunately, it was not to be. However, Hank Pym's been around for a while. And the Ant-Man has been around for a while. And that's... I will say this. That I wasn't necessarily hoisted upon my own petard. But I was uh, kind of... I did kind of see where, okay, they did this effectively. And now we're into spoiler territory, everybody. The, the movie opens up. It doesn't have that Marvel fanfare that Brian Tyler wrote, which really bummed me out. I wish they would have had that in there, but they didn't. It goes ahead and opens up the way it does. But it opens up way back like in 1987. And the idea is that at the old Triskelion, the S.H.I.E.L.D. is there, and they're meeting with uh, Hank Pym, who has his Pym particles and, and has his technology. And they want it, and he won't give it to them. Howard Stark is there. Peggy Carter is there. And a third dude is there, an Agent Donovan. Um, and so they really want this stuff. And um, and he won't give it to them. In fact, he he basically... Uh, <laughs> he, he basically slams uh, Donovan's head on... I think it's Donovan. Let me make sure I got my names right here. Um, he basically slams Donovan's head down on the table and and just walks out. You know, he's not going to have it. I'm sorry, Carson. He's played by Martin Donovan, Mitchell Carson. He slams Carson's head down onto the desk and and, and kind of leaves. But this is still, this is S.H.I.E.L.D. going. And, and we do find out later in the movie that Ant-Man had been a thing. Ant-Man had been at work. And so I, I say that to say, you know, maybe they could do Miles Morales Spider-Man, you know, where we get clips and things being said about the original Spider-Man that Miles happened to look up to. However, they're not going that way, so there's no sense in whining and complaining about it. Let's just wait and see what they do. That's my standpoint. But, talking about Ant-Man, it was John Slattery was there as Howard Stark, as an aged Howard Stark. Haley Atwell was there as Peggy Carter, starting to show her age, you know. And we know where these characters end up. Howard Stark ends up dead. Haley Carter, or Haley Carter, uh, Agent Carter ends up, you know, we see her in Winter Soldier. And it's just, it's, it's, it's cool to see these characters in flashback form. Uh, I'll go ahead and say another flashback that we get is... We do see the Wasp. Um, the Wasp is actually billed as being played by Haley Lovett. Um, but you never see her face. You just see a suit. And and this is Janet Van Dyne. This is Hank's wife. Um, and, and you never... So I don't know if that's if that's truth or not. But we get to see her final moments with, with, with Hank uh, as they're going to take down a nuclear bomb. Or a nuclear missile, rather. Uh, and, and so we, so to get her backstory, 
Um, but Michael Douglas, to me, honestly, he is the weakest link in this whole thing as Hank Pym. Not because he's Hank Pym, but he never really seemed to get comfortable in the role to me. There was something, there was a little bit of disconnect with him. He doesn't, he didn't seem to just kind of put it on the same, you know, the same way that a, a Robert Redford or even Glenn Close in Guardians did. They just kind of slipped right into it. Um, but that, that's not to say he wasn't good. It just seemed a little too disconnected at times. And you know what? Here's the thing. If that's my biggest critique of this movie, it's a pretty dang good movie. Um, I was never... I'm jumping all over the place. I need to get my... I need to get on track here real quick. Let me say this. I was never like Hank Pym, Ant-Man fan. Never Scott Lang, Ant-Man fan. Knew he existed. Always fine when he showed up. Never had a problem with him. I was never like, oh, forget this Ant-Man guy. What in the world is this all about? I mean, if we're honest, it was just Marvel stealing from DC. Excuse me. I don't know if that came across on the microphone. It wasn't, it, it, not stealing, but saying, hey, they got a hero that shrinks. And Stan Lee's been very open about this, where, you know, he'll, <laughs> where, where they've had conversations like, well, they have this over there. Why don't we do this? And they've got a hero that shrinks. Why don't we have a hero that shrinks? And so Stan Lee's like, and we'll do eh, man, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and Hank Pym takes a wild journey in the comics, guys. I mean, he's not only Ant-Man, he's Giant-Man. Later on, he's he's Beecher-Wife-Man. Uh, you know, they're making some points about domestic, you know, abuse. And, and not only that, but Hank's always been just a little bit disconnected. He's always been a little bit off. And, uh, and because, may, and I think what happened is, is as, the, as the stories evolved and as the characters evolved, uh, Hank as a almost a second tier character kind of took a back seat to like the genius of Iron Man or the, the physical prowess of Captain America. And, and I, and they really played into his placement as a character in the Marvel universe. They built that into his character to almost have a little bit of, uh, resentment, you know, maybe even a Napoleon complex about it because of the idea that, well, I should be doing what they're doing. I'm as good as they are. And, and that resentment came out as anger or, or even, you know, his, maybe even his self-doubt would come out as anger and he'd lash out. He actually created Ultron, you know, and Ultron turned on everybody. So, you know, you got to live with that. Uh, but they've taken some of that and put into Tony now. But here, this Hank is someone who has dealt with the government. He's dealt with people who tried to get at his, his work the same way they did Tony Stark when Tony Stark invented the Iron Man suit. And he just took it and hid it away and and covered up knowledge about it and that sort of thing well um darren cross finds out Corey stole who i knew uh from house of cards that's the only place i've ever seen him in and recognized him from was house of cards he was the young senator that frank underwood basically ruined and um and in this movie he plays hank's old protege who hank kind of distanced himself from as time went on because he was a little too ambitious and hank even tells him one point i saw too much of myself in you and uh but he but 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 cross darren cross Corey Stoll, won't stop going after what he thinks hank had tapped into and that was this this shrinking technology this and the way they describe it is is your 
you are reducing the space between atoms. So what they're doing is 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 they have this thing going where Cross has now started to break through on this, but he can't quite do it to organic matter yet. He can't get living things to shrink down. Um, and and so you're seeing his journey of trying to get that make that happen. Hope Van Dyne, Hank's daughter, his estranged daughter, she's not very happy with Hank because she knows that he's been covering up what really happened to her mom all these years. She just feels it in her bones. And uh, and so they have an estranged relationship. Uh, she, though, is working to try to prevent Cross from finding this out. And when she realizes what's happening, she calls Hank back in. Somehow, this is the only thing. This is the only thing. This is the logic leap. Somehow Hank's been watching Scott Lang for a while. What? How, why have you been watching Scott Lang? You know, what, what is it about this guy that, that piqued your interest? And so they set up a whole heist and everything where Scott goes and steals the suit. And what's interesting is, is Scott Lang in the comic stole the Ant-Man suit. That's how he, that's how he got a hold of the Ant-Man suit and became Ant-Man. Um, and, uh, and, and so, and then from there, everything ensues. Hank reveals his plan. We got to get this technology away from him. We got to blow this place up. And, and, and it's just on. It's just on. Um, the heart of this film really, really worked, and the heart of this film is Paul Rudd. It's Scott Lang uh, and his desire to get his life on track and be able to provide for his daughter. And we get to interact with his daughter. Now, let, let me tell you something. Um, his daughter is played by a little girl named Abby Ryder Fortson, and she plays Cassie Lang, and she is the standout for me. There has never been a Marvel character any better than Cassie Lang. <laughs> this little girl is a trip. Her father, her stepdad, just happens to be a police lieutenant. And there's a moment where when Scott's actually taking, the, when he realizes what the suit is, and Hank's actually communicating with him in the helmet when he first puts on the suit and makes it shrink and everything, uh, he takes it back off. And he's gone, and he goes back to the house to break in and put the suit back up, and the police catch him. Well, then Hank helps him escape from prison. He sends the suit in via some ants and helps him escape from prison. And so now there's a manhunt for Scott Lang, and so they're they're having breakfast. Cassie's there with her mom and her stepdad, and she looks at her stepdad and says, "Are you going? Are you looking for my daddy?" And he's like, "Yeah, we're looking for your dad." And she says. Okay, hope you don't find him. And it's just the cutest and the greatest because she, her world revolves, she loves her father. And he loves her. And he's a man who's made mistakes. He tries to kind of Robin Hood it up and say like, well, you know what, it, they were, they, while they weren't victimless crimes, we were going after people that could take us going after them. Um, but he also re recognizes this is no life for him. There's some great, there's a great moment of him, you know, just trying to, stay on the straight straight and narrow and there's a little bit of commentary a little bit of social commentary there you know as he can't find a job because he's an ex-convict he's got a master's in elect in electrical work but he can't and he's a he's got a master's i think he said i'm a master electrician but he can't get a job anywhere because he's an ex-con and so we see him at baskin robbins where he's given him a fake identity 
you know, to, to just have a job, to try to earn money, to try to get back on his feet. And so there's a little bit of social commentary there about how we treat people once they've paid their debt to society. Um, but it's not, it's not beating you over the head with it. It's just, it's part of the story of this man and why he would choose to get back in on, uh, the, the whole, the whole thievery thing, the whole burglary thing. His friends are hilarious. Scott Lang's team, his friends that he works with are, are absolutely hilarious. So much fun. Luis who is like his boy, you know, his best friend. T.I. plays Dave. And then there's Kurt, who is uh, basically John Malkovich from Rounders. Pay him. Pay that man his money. He's like, at one point, he's like, we're going to make a lot of money from this. Uh, and, and so, but those guys become like his little team. They become like his Mission Impossible team. And that's the thing. This movie is Ocean's Eleven meets Superhero. Because you see them make the plan, you see them work the plan, you see them train to pull off the plan, and then you see them try to execute the plan. But the thing that Ocean's Eleven doesn't have, and the thing that most heist movies don't have, is a supervillain to stop it all. Because at just the moment when they're getting ready to execute and make everything happen, Darren Cross gets it. He figures out what's been missing to be able to... Uh, shrink organic material. So now he's ready to go to full-on human testing. And he's going to be selling this technology to the aforementioned... Um, oh, my lanta. What's the, the aforementioned Carson, who former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but who we find out is buying for, ladies and gentlemen, Hydra. Hydra. Hydra still a presence. And they even say at one point, like, well, we're not the same as we used to be. They're they're not the it's not the same as as it was and so so it's really cool though to see Hydra come into play in this thing. Let's get to some of you guys' thoughts really quickly as I stop so I can stop rumbling. D in the UK says, "Hey Steve, just a quick email. My thoughts on Ant Man. I think like yourself, I had reserved expectations going into this movie. Never really explored Ant Man in the comics and honestly didn't know much about the history of the character or origins. But I have to say, it pulled a Guardians of the Galaxy on me." Really enjoyed the humor and the action set pieces and thought the casting and performances were great. Definitely a welcome and enjoyable addition to the cinematic universe. Now, D is in the UK, so the humor there has a U uh, after the O before the R. Uh, it's the British, or it's the, yeah, it's the British humor. Uh, looking forward to hearing your views on the movie, especially in relation to the comics, which I'm now going to start picking up. Really enjoy the show. Listen, it worked through my night shifts. Really picks me up. Anyway, Steve, take care, dude. Cheers for all you do for geekdom, and that's D in the UK. D, I'm I don't know that I was. Here's the thing with Guardians, I was stoked for it. I as I was watching all the previews, I totally got what they were going for. I got the tone, and I was never in doubt about Guardians of the Galaxy. I was looking forward to it. I was I was in full on doubt about Ant Man. The first trailer they showed was not great. It really wasn't. There was it was just really kind of disconnected, and so. Um, and so to walk in and be as pleasantly surprised with the emotion of this film, Guardians was funny. Guardians was a space adventure. Guardians was Star Wars for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was a heist movie with a lot of heart, though, at the same time. Um, and I don't really know how to describe it other than that, other than just how much it just had so much heart. I've seen, uh, you know, I see some guys in the chat talking about it really hit me. Spider-Shan says, uh... It hit me as a dad. Um, 
it, it Batman Drake says it got a little dusty there a couple of times. So, you know, uh, he's Batman Drake says really this movie hit me in the dad feels. Um, so, so you know, it it had it had some heart. It had a lot of heart, and Paul Rudd pulled that off. It it fell on Paul Rudd's shoulders to really make that happen, to make you believe that this guy cared about his daughter, that he wasn't a bad guy even though he'd done bad things. And that's a fine line to walk because he never drifted over into anti-hero status. You see, there that's the thing. There, there are sometimes where guys who make bad decisions and still try to do the right thing end up being your anti-heroes, and he never fell into that, that category. He was likable from the word go. Um... Gregory, uh, Greg in, in California says, I saw Ant-Man on Saturday morning with my wife and two kids, my brother-in-law and nephew and my father. Here's a quick rundown of what everyone thought. I thought it was a great, fun superhero movie in the same vein as Guardians of the Galaxy, but more down to earth. I see what you did there. A nice bit of levity after Avengers 2. My wife, brother-in-law and father really liked it as well. But here's the cool part. The kids loved it. One of my sons said, we have to see it again. Enough said. I was watching with my friend Coach and his family, and his little boy uh, said, I'm never stamping on another ant again. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, this is the thing about this. is, is it's, it's, It has swung back around to... Other than some of the language. Now, listen, I was surprised by some of the strong language in this movie, and I'm not a prude. You guys know that. I'm not like, oh, my gosh. But there were some things that were said while we were watching. I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of families with kids here. And there were in the movie theater I was watching in. A lot of families with kids here. And um, and I feel like that, um, that if they'll tone back the language a little bit in some of these films, then Captain America said it best. Language, you know. <laughs> Um, so, uh, loved it. I mean, absolutely really enjoyed this movie. A couple of things, you know, really specific things. Um, the setup for going subatomic was a bit too telegraphed. That's a bit of a nitpick though. But the minute they start talking about, you know, don't mess with the regulator, you'll go subatomic. Then he talks about it happening to the wasp. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to happen to him in the end. And sure enough, it did. Um, and, but that's a nitpick. Uh, a lot of people have been shouting for complex and interesting villains. I'm not going to say Cross is there. I'm not going to say they've done it. First off, you need to understand these Marvel movies focus more on the heroes than the villains. And, and I think that is a key point, especially coming out of an era... Not that we're not that it's been that long, you know. Not that it's not that it's been that recently, but there was a time when, like when when it was the Burton Batman films, it was all about the villains, you know. And that's really kind of, you know, Batman took a backseat. Though the movies were named Batman, he took a backseat to those villains. Those villains got to take center stage. Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been all about telling compelling stories about these heroes. And and so in that instance, the villains didn't take it backstage. However, Cross works great uh, as someone who got tangled up in Hydra and went the way he did because he felt abandoned by his mentor. He works great as that spurned protege, um, almost 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 uh, the 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 bad guy. What's his name? Uh, Syndrome from The Incredibles. You know where he looked up to this guy, looked up to this guy, and the guy just 
wouldn't give him anything and so he turned on him you know he, he became he became a twisted version of what that man was of what his hero was and he works great to that end um as far as we know he's wrapped up by the end of this movie though uh which is which is something you know that marvel has done in their movies but it hasn't been the big focus because none of the villains that have died in a marvel film have been like big and i don't want to use the term important but you know big arch villains you know loki didn't die uh ultron can still come back that's the thing about ultron is even though you think you've destroyed him there's always a chance that ultron ultron always finds a way you know he's like life in jurassic park he finds a way um here this this version of yellow jacket you know he's toast at the end as far as we know but because it's shrinking toast there's always the opportunity maybe he could find his way back you never know i like the idea of the subatomic universe the uber geek in me went to oh we've been there before micronauts <laughs> Uh, but not only that, Reed and Sue Richards, the Fantastic Four, I, there was an adventure where they shrunk down. There was a whole little crossover in some annuals a while back where, uh, where, where some people shrunk to like super duper microscopic subatomic size, and you find out there's a whole other universe in the subatomic world, um, and that's that's cool to me that we could be, you know, that 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 little bit could be setting something like that up, you know. You never put it past Marvel with what they're doing. Um, Jess, Jess uh, emailed in right as the show got going and says, Hey, Steve, long-time listener, first-time emailer. That's not true, Jess. Uh, I saw Ant-Man last night and have to say that it really surprised me. The theater I went to was full of young kids. I think about half of the theater seemed to be under 12. I understand kids loving superhero movies, but if I was a parent, I would go watch any Marvel or DC movie first before taking kids just to make sure there wasn't anything too inappropriate. Going in this movie, I was in the same mindset as when I saw Guardians. I knew next to nothing about Ant-Man and was unsure about how this movie was going to be. I've never seen a Paul Rudd movie before, but this was a good first experience with his acting abilities for me. I even thought that Evangeline Lilly was great, and I hope we actually get to see her be a hero in an upcoming movie. I think we will. I mean, it's that first credit sequence, you know, where he shows her the prototype suit they're working on. He says, I think we need to finish it and get you suited up. So... <clears throat> Um, Jess goes on to say I had the fact that the Falcon was going to be in the movie spoiled for me by that one trailer but I loved his scene can't wait to see him more heavily featured in the future films I didn't see a trailer with him in it so I was surprised when he when he showed up when it was him that showed up uh, it's a great moment when they think they're just raiding a one of Tony Stark's old warehouses and it ends up being the converted Avengers compound now and he thinks he goes in undetected. The fight between Ant-Man and Falcon was great. It was funny. Anthony Mackie uh, has just the right amount of comedic timing and just the right, of, you know, the right amount of swagger to be taking on this and, and to kind of get his... He didn't really get his butt handed to him, but Scott was able to get in and out and get away from him, uh, you know, mess up what he was doing before he got going. So really cool moment and really loved it. he says i have to jess says i have to say this movie is definitely in my top five marvel films number with number one being winter soldier two guardians of the galaxy three avengers four ant-man and five thor haven't done a rewatch of the older movies in a while so it might switch up a bit but ant-man would stay in the top five 
After watching this movie, one thought was in my head was how the heck movies lately are making me emotional about characters that I shouldn't care so much about. First, it was a talking tree. Then it was a squad of raptors. And now a freaking flying ant. Kill all the people you want, but hurt an animal and I can't stand it. I give Ant-Man four out of five stars. We'll probably see it again while it's in theaters. Can't wait for the next episode. I usually can't listen live, but all the shows in the Goldiverse get me through my 4 a.m. work shifts. Thanks so much for that. P.S. In the Revenge of the Sith episode, I talked about how I saw Toy Story at the drive-in, so that would not make Empire my first movie experience. I asked my mom about it, and she said that the first movie I saw in theaters was actually the live-action 101 Dalmatians. There was another kid there with a toy uh, with a toy Buzz Lightyear, and I wanted it. So it seems like my memory's mashed all together, but the first movie I distinctly remember watching was Empire, so I'm counting that as my first movie theater viewing. That's Jess. Who's not a first-time emailer. Come on, Jess. Silly. Silly Jess. Silly girl. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, I wasn't spoiled by that, and I love that moment. I really, really like the moment where you go to the Avengers, especially the, with the music. Now, if you want to hear my thoughts on the music, you can read them over at geekoutonline.com. I actually was up late the other night thinking about it and posted a blog about uh, Christoph Beck's score for Ant-Man. It's nothing that's going to stick out and be iconic. It's not a John Williams Superman theme or anything like that, but it really works for this movie, and it and it really does give. It, at times, it has that. It does everything it needs to do because it goes from being that heist feel to uh, having you know the, those quiet moments and and just really nice music and, and beautiful music played out uh, for the quiet moments it's supposed to be when it's supposed to be majestic and adventurous. It does all that. And he does a great job with it. But again, I don't know that it's going to be anything super uh, super iconic to come out of it. But I'll tell you what's becoming a little bit iconic is that Avengers theme. Uh, that it gets a it gets a bar to uh, when he's going to take that thing down. Uh, when he's going to go find the thing. Uh, let me see. Let me see if we can play a little bit of that. I don't know if this. Oh, that was really loud. I don't think this is it. But maybe. You see, this has got a spy. This and 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 some tracks are very close to being uh even even like a 70s, 60s, 70s spy movie feel to them, you know, give a little bit of a, a vintage feel to the music. This has a little bit more superhero heistiness to it. Maybe this isn't the track with it. I thought this was the track with it. Oh, there it is. There it is. There was that Avengers. And then it goes right back into a great moment in the movie. Great reveal as they pull over in that Avengers theme. That bum, 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 bum. Swells up. Just works perfectly for what's happening there. And uh, Christoph Beck did a good job. Not someone I was familiar with, but he has a very prolific career in in composing music for different movies. 
Um, <clears throat> so, so it it added to it and really really made things work. A couple of other things about this movie: love the heist and the plan being pulled off, and when when Hank holds up the keychain and says, "It's not a keychain." <laughs> I'm still laughing. I just looked at Coach, who was there watching. My friend Coach who was sitting there watching with me. And I'm just like, they're about to drive a tank out of this thing. Because it was so out of nowhere. It was just absolute. They, they'd shown the key. They did such a good job of showing the key ring here and there. I don't know if it's something that I should have ever thought that it, it was possibly a real tank. I was just like, well, that's a weird thing for him to have, a tank keychain, you know, maybe that'll... I thought that'd come up later in the story, like some sentimental thing or something, some kind of joke, some kind of tchotchke that Janet had picked up for him, that sort of thing. But when he says, it's not a keychain, and I just died laughing because I knew the next thing we were going to see was that tank come flying out of um, the the Pym Tech building and sure enough it was and it was hilarious and it was great and it was a great moment of distraction because our heroes the the heist team were in trouble and the tank distracted the police long enough to uh <laughs> for them to be able to get away so absolutely cool stuff happening there it just it really did um it it just it made me laugh so hard uh, Wood Harris plays um, plays Cassie's stepdad's uh, partner, Gail, in, in the movie. He is, and and I know him from more than anything else from Remember the Titans. He played Julius Campbell in Remember the Titans, and apparently he's going to be playing uh, Adonis Creed's trainer in um, in Creed. So. Uh, it, it's just, you know, I was like, I know that guy. I know him. Uh, I know who that is. But he didn't have a, you know, big part. But it was still great. His chemistry with, I wish I could think of the man's name. Who I, I got to find his partner. Um, surely it's not Paxton. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's who he was. Uh, his partner was Paxton. Cassie's stepdad. Anyhow, to see that happen was... Um, just hilarious. Now Judy Greer, who I love Judy Greer, guys. She's hilarious to me. She's she's one of those funny, funny, funny people who who can who has a really nifty range in what she does. But she um she plays Maggie Lang. So she still got in she's still listed as having Scott's last name. Um so I, I, I assumed that she and, and Paxson were married. I guess, you know, well, just excuse me for being traditional. Um, look, at the end of the day, this movie is about two dads, though, trying to do what's best for their daughters. And there's a moment where Scott uses the fact that he's trying to do what's best for his daughter to get in Hope's face and be like, look, your dad won't let you do this because I'm expendable. I'm nobody to him. You matter. And that starts to break down her walls. You know, Scott has a moment where he starts to break down her walls, not with him, but with her father, uh, between her and her father. And and again, so it just plays. The idea of heart and the idea of fathers and the idea of mentors plays uh, <clears throat> plays so well, so well in this movie. We're running short on time, so I want to talk really quickly about those end credits scenes. Um 
the first one is pretty self-explanatory, and we'll probably hopefully get to see Hope as Wasp sooner sooner than later. The second one is apparently a scene right out of Civil War, Captain America Civil War. It's a scene that we will see in that movie, maybe a different take, maybe shot from a different angle. <coughs> but Kevin Feige has said this is in Captain America Civil War. No doubt about it. No doubt in my mind. Um, and it I, it looked like they had Bucky trapped. You know, the Winter Soldier looked like they had him trapped somehow. Uh, they looked like they've been through the ringer. And I would imagine that this is going to be that that Scott coming to help them will be kind of the first bit of them forming any type of team to go take out Iron Man. And Scott using it may even be that Scott ends up using his electrical knowledge and everything to get into the Iron Man suit and, and wreak some havoc on Tony. So a uh, couple other little there were several Easter eggs in there. They talked about someone who climbs walls, you know, Spider-Man. That was apparently written before they knew that Spider-Man was coming to the to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, but it was still cool that it, it ended up working out for you know for those purposes. Not only that, uh, there was a moment where Darren Cross was talking about um, where Darren Cross was talking about uh, the the old tales of Ant-Man. He's like, yeah, these are just propaganda, right? Tales to astonish. Well, tales to astonish was the first was the comic where ant-man made his first appearance was in the comic tales to astonish so um that's that's where that happened um i'm looking at some stuff the milgram hotel was a name whoa don't know what that's about the milgram hotel is a was named after al milgram who originally uh drew ant-man um so an artist for ant-man was there uh good stuff in those two things the tales of astonish is the big one the the crawling walls i think is the other big one um <clears throat> i'm perusing some really quickly um and uh just to see what else we got uh carson uh agent mitch carson as we said was from shield and he like you find out later on he's he's in hydra um and uh, let me see what else is going on. The Ten Rings. I didn't see this one. Hold on a second. The Ten Rings. This one's a little too. This one's a little complicated, especially because it doesn't factor into Ant Man too significantly. Remember the terrorist organization? Yes, yes, yes. And Iron Man Three would find out that the Mandarin is just an actor named Trevor Slattery. And then in the one shot, All Hell the King, we find out there's a real Mandarin. And there's a terrorist. And that's the Ten Rings. One of the businessmen that visits Pemtech to bid on the Ant-Man tech has a 10 rings, the Mandarin tattoo on his neck. Wow. See, I missed that. Now I've got to go back and watch this thing. Dang Cletus. Uh, I mentioned the microverse. I love the idea that there's a potential microverse out there that we may be getting into. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Yellow jacket in the comics. I don't remember him being a bad guy. I always remember it being Hank Pym and just taking on a new suit and, called himself uh yellow jacket i i don't know i'm not really super super duper familiar with with that with the history of him as yellow jacket cassie lang actually would grow up to be um uh, a superhero in the comics uh called stature she was part of the young avengers um 
of course, there was the Ultron reference where, you know, they, they mentioned, he says, we need to call the Avengers because they're too busy dropping stuff out of the out of the sky. Um, and some people say that Michael Pena uh, as Luis whistling It's a Small World is, you know, that nod to Disney. So, um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, though, just some cool Easter eggs that are thrown in there. And, and, and what I like is that in these fresh movies like this, the Easter egg hunts are a little more fun, you know, because with Avengers Age of Ultron, any Easter egg that was thrown in there, we're like, oh, how does this lead into Infinity War? With this, it's just like, oh, what are they talking about? It, it, it harkens back to the, you know, like the name dropping of Stephen Strange in Captain America Winter Soldier and a few of the other things like Barit in, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy being like, like when I saw that, I'm like, Oh my gosh. When I realized it was Breed, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have Hulk comics with her in it. It's so great. So just cool stuff. Look, I want to encourage you guys. Uh, the, the final battle was great between Ant-Man and Yellow Jackets. Everything you want out of a superhero movie battle. It, it, it wasn't anticlimactic. It, it, everything built up to it just right. The fighting that they did, the fighting he did with, uh, with the Falcon, everything about it just just worked in a way that I did not expect it to work. Uh, it, I was really so pleasantly surprised with this movie. And I hope to see it again before it leaves theaters. Don't know that I'll get a chance to, but but I hope to get a chance to see it again before it leaves theaters. I, you know, again, not, I don't know if it's my favorite Marvel movie. Um, it, it may be in my top five. In, the Incredible Hulk has to be up there because it is definitely a sentimental favorite. The first Avengers would be in that top five. Um, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is definitely up there. And maybe this one. Yeah, maybe this one. Though I love Thor. I really love the first Thor. Um, so, and the other, you know, finally, the, the final thing I'll say is this. That I like that we got kind of a heist, super, a superhero heist film. Um, in, in phase two... You know, we stretched. They they stretched out a little bit with Guardians. Uh, you know, you, you look and and there hasn't really been the normal superhero movie come out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with the exception of maybe uh, Iron Man, the first Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk. You could almost make the the case that it's a monster. You know, kind of a monster movie. You could uh, make the case that Iron Man 3 is kind of a spy movie, but especially Captain America Winter Soldier is like a spy movie. The Thor films are almost fantasy sci-fi, um, but Captain America Winter Soldier definitely like a spy movie, you know, like a Bourne kind of thing or even a Bond kind of thing. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is that, that venture into sci-fi. This is that heist film I've been told that I've I've heard where Spider-Man, you know, they're wanting to have it to have a more of a John Hughes feel to it. And I I dig that. I completely dig that thing so that when you hit those Avengers movies, it's full on superhero action and that's what it needs to be. Everything else can they can kind of play around in these worlds, but then when they all come together, man, then it's then it's just it's all out action and I, and and I dig that setup. I dig that kind of setup. So it's going to be interesting to see where Marvel goes forward. You know, Captain America Civil War is the next thing on the docket. You guys know I'm not really looking forward to it. I don't like my heroes fighting each other. I like heroes versus villains. And uh, I was more excited when I saw the snakes, the, the Serpent Society 
slide come up than the Civil War slide. But <clears throat> what have I learned if not to trust Marvel and uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? They do good work over there, and we appreciate it. So <clears throat> before we go, gang, I promised this two episodes ago. We didn't do it in the last episode because the last episode was kind of impromptu. So it's the one thing that no one's been, you know, been, been asking for, but I felt like I had to do it. Um, we're going to bring back the old Bad Impressions Theater, Bad Impersonations Theater. <coughs> uh, on this episode of Bad Impersonations Theater, we take you to a galaxy far, far away to the cantina scene when Obi-Wan and Luke meet Han Solo for the first time. The role of Han Solo being played by Morgan Freeman. Obi-Wan Kenobi as Dusty Rhodes. Luke Skywalker will be played by, by Bane from uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, there's one line by the Stormtroopers, who are just guys who have sucked too much helium. And Chewbacca will be played. Uh, the role of Chewbacca will be played by Bob Dylan. We take you now to Bad Impersonations Theater. Han Solo, captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. A fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Uh, should I have? It's the ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships. Not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Carillion ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? Only passengers. Myself, the boy, two droids. And no questions asked, Daddy. What is it? Some kind of local trouble? Let's just say we'd like to avoid any imperial entanglements, if you will. Well, that's the trick, isn't it? And it's going to cost you something extra. I'd like to sit up here on the, on the roof, tarn a roof, and feel like a free man for the first time in years. But it'll be 10000 all in advance. Ten thousand? We could almost buy our own ship for that, Darth Vader breathing, Darth Vader breathing. Yeah, but who's gonna fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself, Darth Vader breathing, Darth Vader breathing. We don't have to sit here less than... We can pay you ten thousand now. Or two thousand's what I mean to say. <laughs> Daddy, uh, you see, I've... I've I'm a man who has wined and dined with kings and queens. And I've slept in alleys and dined on pork and beans here on Tatooine, you see. And so what I'm telling you right now, if you will, I can pay you 2,000 right now. But I give you 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17, huh? Okay, you guys got yourself a ship. 
We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. It'll be just like driving Miss Daisy all over again. 94, Daddy. Looks like someone's beginning to take an interest in your handiwork. Ben and Luke turn around to see four Imperial Stormtroopers looking at dead bodies and asking the bartender some questions. The bartender points to the booth. Alright, let's check it out! 17,000. Those guys must really be desperate. This could really save our necks, Chewie. Get back to the ship and get her ready. I'll meet you in San Juanita. I'm just kidding. I'll be there at Docking Bay 94. Cause I'm Morgan Freeman. Hey! And that's going to wrap us up, man, on this episode of Geek Out Loud. My apologies for the bad impersonation theater. If you want to email us, please do so. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. Head over uh, to facebook.com slash geekoutloud. You'll see the polls that get put up there and that sort of thing. And uh, participate in those things. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. We're on Twitter, at geekoutloud, at Steve Glosson. You can follow the whole Goliverse, at Goliverse. And you can follow at Goliverse Reads there as well. Don't forget to head over to geekoutonline.com slash reads to join the Goliverse Book Club. And tomorrow, the next episode, you'll hear Goliverse Reads, Ready Player One. Look forward to hearing from you guys uh, on the phones, through email, however you want to get to us to talk about Ready Player One. The Amazon links are at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. And if you want to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Don't forget about uh, the free 30-day trial and a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash geekout. We're so proud to be part of the Shot Glass Digital Radio Network. Head over to shotglassdigital.com to check out all of the stuff there, including the flagship show, Rebel Force Radio. And let Jimmy and Jason know Steve sent you that way. Until next time, I am Steve Glosson. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud.